Great. Thank you for being here. We've reached the beginning of the book of Leviticus. Um, and this Shabbat, the Shabbat before Purim, as some of you know, is called Shabbat Zachor. Because in addition to the regular Torah reading at the beginning of Leviticus, there's a special Torah reading from the book of Deuteronomy, just a very short one uh, that says, remember what Amalek did to you. Remember what Amalek did to you on your journey after you left Egypt. So Shabbat Zachor, is, it's a very important passage. And the reason it comes right before Purim, and I know that this will be, uh, for some of you, this is very familiar material, and uh, we hopefully we'll be able to um, shed, new, shed light on it, uh, is that in the story of Esther, which we'll be reading next Wednesday night, Haman is associated as a descendant of Amalek. And Amalek in the Jewish tradition, starting in the Torah, becomes the um, uh, representative, the symbol of unhinged evil in Judaism. So if you are a conversant in Jewish talk, if you say Amalek, that Hitler was a descendant of Amalek, that's because Hitler represents that unhinged evil. So I wanna to look today, given that our world is beset by unhinged evil right now, um, I, it's, it's an important, uh, uh, I think that's what, as always, I follow what draws me and that certainly drew me today as I looked at the assigned Torah readings for this, um, this Shabbat. So let's say the blessing for Torah study. Baruch Ata Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Kitshanu B'Mitzvotav V'Tzivanu La'asok B'Divrei Torah Blessed are you, creator our God. <sighs> Your presence fills the universe and you have given us the mitzvah of engaging in words of Torah. Okay. Um, Hold on a second. So first, let me just show you the passage itself. We'll start with the text, but then I wanna zoom way out for a little bit. And especially today, again, your input is really welcome, whether you decide to raise your hand or type in the chat. And so it can be as much of a conversation as possible over um, Zoom. And I have some basic information so that we're all talking on the same page here which I will certainly get across to you. So let me share my screen, show you the passage. Okay, hold on. This is the passage we read in synagogue this Shabbat. Remember what Amalek did to you on your journey after you left Egypt? how undeterred by fear of God, he surprised you on the march when you were famished and weary and cut down all the stragglers in your rear. Therefore, when your God Yodhei grants you safety from all your enemies around you in the land that your God Yodhei is giving you as a hereditary portion, you shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Do not forget. Now, frequently we focus on that strange paradox of remember not to forget. Do not forget, remember to blot out. But before we go there, I wanna to go to something much even prior to that, which is the consideration of evil. Um, there are books and books written about the uh, fancy word theodicy. 
theodicy, which means God and evil. Like, um, uh, and the question that people pose is if God is all good, how can there be evil in the world? Yes, uh, uh, Ellen typed it into the chat for us. If God is all good, how can there be evil in the world? Um, if God is an all-knowing, omniscient, supernatural, all-powerful, etc., why is there evil in the world? Now, frankly, this is not my issue, <laughs> right? It's not really how I frame the question. Even from a mystical perspective, when not perspective, from the experience of mystical experience, which some of us here may have shared, which, where you have some kind of a, a amazing experience in your life where you experience the benign and loving nature that suffuses all creation, right? That goodness that is, you know, and you come, and, and after that experience, there's some part of you that knows that's the truth. And you still say, why is there evil? For me, it's not a complicated question. There's evil in biblical terms because the creator gave human beings choice. Choice to follow the path of, of morality and love and choice to follow the path of selfishness and greed, right? So, so for me, the question of why is there evil is simply, a, is in fact, a human question. It's a question because, let me say it this way, evil is a moral category, right? If we use the word evil, and I think we should um, in certain cases, uh, evil is a moral category and morality is the realm of human behavior where we have the choice. And however you frame it, however you wanna, whatever mythic origin you wanna associate with why humans are this way, we are this way, right? We are a mixture in the Jewish tradition, we say, of different natures. Our, as we've talked about, our Yetzahara, which is translated as our inclination towards evil, is considered to be our base drives and appetites, um, which is all about me. And we've also been somehow instilled with, it's part of our makeup, a Yetzahatov, an inclination towards the greater good, which is part of who we are. And we are this internal battleground, honestly, of how do we channel, transform, transmute, utilize our drives for wanting for ourselves into a service of a greater good. Right? This is the challenge of of being a moral human being. Therefore, for me, the definition of evil is when a person is not wrestling with their base drives. When they have, when they have abandoned, ignored, or in some way um, trivialized or even rationalized away their higher, their higher calling as human beings. Um, so evil for me is human behavior unhinged from moral concerns. And there we are. So um, I think it's a good definition. Um, one might there's many, many ways one could phrase that, but absent compassion, absent the ability, absent empathy, absent the capacity to consider what your actions, how they might be impacting another person and have compassion for that other possibility, um, in the absence of that evil is abroad in the world. Um, now, in the Jewish tradition, and again, I welcome your thoughts and comments anytime. Hey, Jonathan. Yes. It's Rob. So with that definition, and, and I, just so you know, I agree with you, mm -hmm. uh, 
that's a large swath of the population. If, if I really think about what you say and take it to heart and look at what people do for a living or even what they do in their hobbies, I think a large swath of the population sadly falls into that. Well, but not as a, Rob, not as a definition of, of who they are, but of Correct. some of their behaviors. Correct. That, exactly. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. I just, just as, just, okay. Are you, and are you talking, just to be clear, that definition is more of the who they are, the deeper, the deeper. Well, uh, no, it's, um, I, Judaism would never posit that someone was completely evil. Um, because our soul comes from God. So in, in the words of Nachman of Bratzlav, every single person has a nikuda tova, a, which means an, an inner point that is good and um, uh, is connected to the great soul of the universe. So um, in Jewish thought, even the most irredeemable person is considered to not be evil in their essence. They may be irredeemable in this lifetime. Uh, they may have, and, and so let me take a little, um, Marsha, I'll get to your interesting comment uh, shortly. Um, yes, the morning prayer says, Elohai neshamash natatabi tahorahi. My God, the soul you've implanted within me is pure. And, um, that is the fundamental Jewish understanding because how could we be made in the image of God and not carry somewhere in beneath our occluded, misbegotten, uh, selfish, completely or mentally ill or whatever, uh, we have a point that connects us to, to that uh, goodness that pervades creation. So, um, uh, so there's a beautiful midrash Sarah, I'll call, call on you shortly too. Thank you for raising your hand. There's a beautiful midrash that, um, you know that when you read the story of the um, crossing of the Red Sea and the, the drowning of the Egyptian army, there's no mention of Pharaoh. There's no mention that Pharaoh drowns in the sea. And so midrash lovers, this becomes an opportunity to say, well, what happened to Pharaoh? And the most famous midrash about Pharaoh after that is that in the classic folktale motif of the king who has been dethroned and becomes a wanderer, Pharaoh wanders. And where does he wander to? And again, this isn't, this isn't, this is legend. This is, this is, you know, fantastical stuff. He wanders to Nineveh. Nineveh is the capital city of Babylonia. It's the city that God tells Jonah to go to, to tell them that they've become evil and they need to change their ways or they're going to be destroyed. And in the Midrash, Pharaoh shows up in Nineveh. And again, in this motif of, of the king who doesn't appear, um, uh, the, Pharaoh is so naturally kingly that his, his, his royalty is recognized and he is placed on the throne of Nineveh. The king of, why can they tell the story? Because the king of Nineveh is not named. And, uh, and so the Midrash says, when Jonah comes to Nineveh to denounce their evil ways, Pharaoh is the king of Nineveh and Pharaoh immediately repents and, says, and tells all his people to repent and to stop their evil ways because Pharaoh had learned now, there's nothing in the Torah about this, right? Pharaoh's Pharaoh. God makes, hangs him up by his own petard. God hardens his heart. But in the Midrash, the rabbis want you to know that even Pharaoh gets a second chance. It's one of my absolute favorite Midrashim. Isn't that beautiful? Great. Um, so that's to answer your question, Rob. Um, now, um, I'm going to uh, look Thank at Marsha's comment and then uh, recognize Sarah. Marsha said, and when there's absence of acknowledging our basics, baser drives, it is also problematic. That is for sure, as any of us who have studied ourselves know, or history, 
it, I would I would posit, and again, please don't think I'm tarring an entire civilization, but one of the greatest difficulties in Christianity is that the spirit was separated from the body and the base drives of being alive were considered to be evil. They're not evil. They're only evil if they're not tempered by, um, by the high, our higher consciousness. So, um, and so you then project, as we all know, all of your base qualities that you can't possibly have because you're pure onto other people and onto other groups and evil, you then become a, ve a vehicle for the dehumanization of others, which is another of the ways of describing what evil is, a lack of empathy, a lack of humanizing the other. So that inner split in a misguided effort to, to distance ourselves from our evil impulse, yes, creates as many problems as anyone who distances themselves from their higher purpose. We, they have to work in concert and it is a challenge and a struggle that makes us human. Uh, thank you for that, Marsha. Sarah? Um, I have something from earlier, but just from what you said just now, I had a neighbor who was you know, a practicing uh, Christian, I don't know what denomination, but he you know, talked about his appetite, you know, his sexual appetites and how different, like that he was evil. He thought he was a bad human being for having sexual thoughts. And I just, I thought that was the saddest thing ever. It is sad. Um, but just going back to uh, that every soul is, uh, has, has, you know, merit because ultimately, and from my perspective, each soul is a spark of God, um, you know, from the, from the um, new age metaphysical perspective, Hitler basically played a role. He, you know, he volunteered to play the role of this evil, you know, element um, for, for what end, I don't know. But uh, anyway, th that in a certain way, like if we all think of uh, having chosen our parents or whatever, that it's a similar aspect to that, you know. Um, right. Thank you. Yeah. And I'm going to make a strong negation of that perspective. Sure. Sarah. Uh, because first of all, it presumes that we, that we puny humans can actually get a picture of, of some kind of metaphysical purpose to human existence that we, that I think is actually us grasping at straws. Um, and it's also for me, terribly offensive because it implies that we Jews somehow chose to be, an, uh, to, to be under Hitler. And so all of it just falls apart for me and I refuse to go there. And it's one of my problematic uh, things about many new age um, perspectives. Like they're grandiose and then veer rapidly into bullshit. Um, so, uh, I have spoken. Um, I will take it under thought and uh, yes, please do. I, there's so much more to what I just said, you know. Yes, and and I wasn't equating you. I no, wasn't I equating that. you with that perspective, but I I reject it completely. I um, I, uh, I don't take it personally. I see Deborah saying she gets so angry at that perspective. Um, and I certainly don't want to, uh, you know, raise anyone's ire. Uh, it, there's way more than what I've just talked about, but I hear you and I will uh, definitely ruminate over it. Yes. And you should know that I have spent much time and I'm not the least bit angry at you. No, not at all. I have spent a lot of time in those realms of discourse earlier in my life. Um, for me, they didn't work because they make us into judge and jury over things we don't really have control over or understand. And we wish we did. We wish we understood why this was such a mess. It's much more satisfying for me 
to look at it as an eternal struggle of our species. Um, uh, and that doesn't at all negate the spiritual reality that I affirm. I affirm that spiritual reality, but not meta explanations for human history. Um, I find those to be reductive. I, I thoroughly hear you. Um, I just want to share one more thing, which is a personal sure. experience. When I was in high school, I was walking home from school one day. It was spring. I um, came across a, a blooming magnolia tree and I just kind of sat on the, the rock wall near it and had this very deep exper spiritual experience, whatever energy was happening there that moment, which carried forward for weeks of having this deep understanding of that I love everybody whether they're, you know, a bum on the street or what, whatever the version of the human shell was, I recognize that at the, in the interior of the shell is a soul, a love, you know, love, and the, that we all deserve love no matter what our exterior shell is. Um, and for some reason, I feel like that's tied into what I'm trying to express, but um, uh, yes, and I, yeah. I hope that, uh, I don't know, I did say this at the beginning, that, some, that a significant number of us are graced with similar mystical breaks, they're called, where, the, where you see through the world, and for a period, often it's described as weeks, one walks around in the conviction and with the deep knowing that what you say is true. I've had that experience true. So mm -hmm. I completely validate it for you. And that brings up the question of evil. And so we want to, if it's like this, I'll see, I'll call on you in a second, Susan. If it's like this, why is there evil? For me, a cosmic explanation doesn't work because precisely what I was saying, how could little old me who can only get intimations of this universe of ours, possibly begin to explain 7 billion pe other people's experience. It's like for me, it's the, it's, the, it's the height of hubris to then translate my experience into a cosmic explanation of everything. And that's why I, I don't go there. So instead I look at human behavior itself, which Judaism fortunately kind of gives us a, 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 um, a, a graphic description of, um, which is that every human being is wrestling with a complex nature. And despite our awareness of what could be, it's not easy for us as, as, as incarnated beings to manifest it because we're complicated. And some of us lose our way and think and, and maybe never even contact the spiritual aspect and find ourselves only concerned with our own survival. And so how do we awaken our higher selves? This becomes the question. Once we have awakened our higher selves, how do we then mercilessly look at our behaviors and acknowledge all of our failings? It's like, these are, these are the questions that, that are juicy for me. Um, uh, even though I'd love to have the, the, the cosmic explanation of everything, I don't, I, I don't think that we can express it in useful ways and language. Anyway, um, thank you. I hope uh, this is uh, fruitful for you too. Let me call on Susan. Okay, can you hear me? Yes. Um, um, I, one of the views that I find helpful for myself is reincarnation because I, I mean, I feel everybody has, of course, you know, we all have good and evil within us, or let's say we, we there's most of us aren't just like this perfect evolved human being that's always loving and always kind and generous and all of that. And, and I think when we acknowledge some of our flaws, that's good, that's positive. But when I look at certain beings like Putin, for instance, is a good example. Um, the only way 
that I can feel that there's some kind of justice is to think that in his next life, he's going to be born in a really bad situation, mm-hmm. you know, where he's getting, uh, you know, he's on one of these uh, boats of people escaping from, um, you know, someplace in Africa and they they land in the water. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. These I horrible. Mean. So, so for me to believing in reincarnation and believing that people, if they don't get their just desserts in this lifetime, they're going to get it further along makes me really believe in reincarnation. So I uh-huh. just thank you. Share. Thank you. Might be true, but I'm going to take, I, since, I'm, since I'm being direct today, um, if it gives you comfort, good. Um, <laughs> that doesn't make it true. We can't know if it's true. No, of course not. No, I mean, and so yeah. one of the issues of reincarnation, okay, friends, we're being very, very metaphysical today, um, is that it presumes that time is linear outside of our physical experience. Uh, Marsha wrote, we so yearn for justice and fairness in the world. Thank you, Marsha. That's exactly what it needs to be said. Yes, we so yearn for justice and fairness in the world. And Ellen wrote, may we wrestle with mercy for our wonderfully imperfect selves. Thank you all for those comments. Leah, just a minute, I'll, I'll call on you soon. But before this hour is over, I do want to get back to, it's so interesting to discuss this. We so, so much want to understand. Um, Briefly, Susan, reincarnation, time only exists for me here in the physical realm. Outside of it, there is no progression of lives. It's all happening at the same time. And so our desire for there to be justice be served by explaining a linear kind of progression of payback. I wish, I don't know if it's true. I think there's a cosmic struggle going on inside each of us and throughout our species. uh, Vicky, what if we absolutely know there is reincarnation? Yes, but we then reduce it to a linear time, right? You didn't, your previous self didn't die in year X and then you were born in year Y. It, that's only from our perspective. I'm not saying that we don't have multiple uh, aspects of our souls and that they're not all experiencing uh, not only this dimension, historical dimension, but many dimensions all at once. I'm saying that when we try to reduce it to a logical explanation of why I'm suffering now, oh, it's because of this past life, if that's useful, use it, but don't accept it as like the truth, because we don't know. Use it, definitely. Um, so that's how I feel about that. I don't dis- I, just like with Sarah, I, I know these experiences are real, but then in our, we want to reduce them to kind of our physical reality and cause and effect. And I just don't think it necessarily holds up quite well. Okay, I didn't expect to be going in this direction. <sighs> Deborah. So, yeah, so for me, This is so useful when I look at it in terms of how are we to show up for Hitler and Putin and the Donald Trump, the things that seem so clear to us to be the unbridled evil. So I just want to tell a little story. Um, I was in a play this recently put on by the new Russia Cultural Center. And who knew 
you know, with now what's going on with Russia and Ukraine, the play was about um, uh, Jewish people in the Ukraine who were um, uh, brutalized by the Soviet government after World War II. So Soviet government was involved in, in saving Jews and then turned against Jews. And the play is very, very powerful. It's put on by this group. Well, we, there was this talk about us doing this play um, uh, as a fundraiser for the um, uh, Jewish Federation in Albany. So here's what happened. And for me, this is such a profound standing up to, um, so we're, you know, we're all going about doing this until somebody mentions that the new Russia Cultural Center is refusing to condemn what Putin is doing. So there you go, you know, that, uh, oh, we're not political, but then, you know, saying, oh, well, maybe it's the, it's the U.S. troops that are there in Russia, not really Russian troops, and just crazy denial of the evil. So it makes me think, what do we do when we see that evil not recognized and we see that evil supported? And so some of these incredible humans who are part of this Russian Cultural Center have been sending out emails saying, we are not participating in anything that's done by this organization. If this organization is not gonna condemn evil when we see it and all of us have united to stand up and make it public that this organization is by their silence, giving their consent to what's obviously wrong and bad. So it's, it's crystallized for me that as a human, I get to do that. And as humans, when we see evil, we get to call it by its name. We get to stand up against it and join with other people who care about doing something better. So I just wanted to share that. Wow. That's that. And that just happens happening for you. Wow. It's in it's happening right now. I mean, some of them have been writing to the um gov to the US government, some have been writing to the Times Union, and people are really making it public mm -hmm. that we have the opportunity here to say, no, this isn't okay. Mm, thank you. Mm. Sylvia, I'll call on you in a moment, okay? I just want to backtrack a little, and I, I don't want anyone to, I really hope I, I really spoke strongly, and I don't want people to feel invalidated um, by uh, any perspectives I've shared. What I usually say, and what I mean, is that whatever spiritual framework each of us has developed that helps us to become the people we want to be, use it. Um, just don't I just, I, what, I, what I bridle against is putting a final kind of stamp of reality on it. This is the way things are. I don't even want to do that for myself, even though it's my tendency. Um, that everything's a draft until pending us understanding more is sort of how I like to put it. But I really hope that for each, and what is a useful perspective? I'm a functionalist in terms of theology or cosmology. If your perspective is allowing you to grow in love, awareness, and having your feet on the ground, it's a good perspective. But if you find that it's causing you to have to like shield your eyes or judge other people or not deal with the world the way it is, then maybe you need to rejigger some of the, some of the beliefs you're working on. Uh, working with. And so let's just, let's just all acknowledge, and myself included, that these are all descriptions that we're working with, try to help us grapple with reality. And uh, enough said. Leah, you had your hand up before. Yes. Um, last night, with great difficulty, I watched the movie The Pianist. Oh. Because tonight, it's going to be discussed uh, through the Saratoga Council of the Arts um, mm -hmm. group. 
And so, and it was really hard, hard, hard to watch, especially the beginning of the movie. The end, I knew he was going to live, but, and, 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 and the brutality, the brutality of this big fat Nazi man. And I'm thinking as a kid, as a kid, he probably, he's getting all of his grievances out on the Jews. I mean, the brutality, then there were a few, a few people who were decent and went above and, and, and paid for it, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and there's gonna be a whole discussion, six people, I mean, six panelists. And, and it's so hard, it's so hard, it could have been us. It just could have been us. And the, the thing of it is it still could be us. I still think of myself, I think of myself leaving my house and I could, that's the, that is the scary part about it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, Yes, yes, Susan. Susan said, I only said that I hope there's reincarnation as it makes me feel that evildoers will get what they deserve. Kenya Hiratsan, so may it come. (laughs) Um, thank you, Leah. Um, okay, so what I want to say is, and I guess I'm picking this up, it's like this is a timely Torah reading for us, because evil, unbridled evil, is abroad in the world right at this moment. Not the kind of kind, well, they have mixed motives. They, Putin is destroying another country. He's doing it with without without mercy and um, without cause. And um, because he has consolidated so much power and military might, we're looking at untold destruction and the possibility of global, a global conflict. We're looking at that right now. And it is not my way to jump ahead into high anxiety because I can't live that way. So uh, maybe all continue to drink in the joys of the present because the present is still benign. The reality of the universe is still magnificent. It's also, that is also, and that is for me, my, my haven and my sanctuary and my deepest foundation. But if we don't, this is this is for if we don't recognize evil when it rears its head, and I just define evil as human behavior unhinged from empathy or compassion. Unhinged, right? That is what Jewish tradition calls our Yetzer Hara, our inclination towards evil. When our inclination towards evil, which dwells in each of us, is unhinged from our inclination for the greater consciousness, which is called our Yetzer Hatov, then we, then we see what we see. We, it happens regularly in both, uh, whether it's domestic violence or global conflict, right? Evil rears its head. So before our time is up, um, ah, Sarah says if a soul were a circle that had white, black, and great parts, could be that the soul of Putin is 99% dark and 1% white. Going back to, yes, going back to what I said that in the Jewish tradition, uh, we can't be irredeemable because we come from that source of light. However, we can be virtually irredeemable because of the path, our choices, our um, brain chemistry, our our lack of nurturing or the abuse we've absorbed. So many reasons lead human beings into unhinged selfish behavior. Yes, there's the famous story about whatever part we feed gets stronger. And again, in the Jewish tradition, I will repeat that the suppression of, or the denial of the evil inclination, it leads to self-delusion and, and danger. 
the brilliance of Jewish sacred psychology is that it is every parent's job, every community's job, every moral society's job to set up the circumstances where each individual will learn how to channel their drive into constructive, creative, empathetic actions. And that is the human struggle. Um, so briefly, let me share now about Amalek a little bit more. <clears throat> I want to be really concise. As you might imagine, and endangering the entire planet, exactly, with our unhinged, self-centered behavior, exactly. Um, as you might imagine, there is a stream of thought in Judaism where Amalek wants to destroy the Jews. And so when it says blot out Amalek, it means that we have to destroy them first. I would be dishonest if I didn't say there, were, there, there was that stream in Judaism. And so Amalek can be assigned, therefore, to any enemy. And God is on our side. And Amalek is them. And so ironically, by taking that uh, simplistic view of this, you become Amalek. Right? By completely externalizing evil, one and then being determined to defeat it, once again, you become Amalek, that which you were supposed to wipe out. There are elements of the Jewish world that invoke Amalek just for that purpose. Right? I don't want to go there. I want to be more... Um, I want to go for the more nuanced vision of this, which is, which is very much in the heart of Jewish thinking about this. And it's done as usual with wordplay. Um, so for example, here, let me share the screen. Um, Remember what Amalek did to you on your journey after you left Egypt. Asher Korcha Baderech. Now, Korcha means surprised you on the march. Um, but Korcha, oh, okay, I'll, I'll, I'm going to get Blaze's comment here. Blaze says, I was just going to ask, can one have compassion and empathy for the evil person? That person must be terribly wounded or traumatized in some way or not. Just evil and that's it. Uh, uh, that's a great question, Blaze. I'll give you my answer, which is I can't think that globally. I don't know Putin. I don't know, it's like, I don't know. However, I've taken care of a lot of children in my life and I have power in that situation. So that one kid, when one kid is being horribly cruel, I can stop them and still have empathy for them, right? I can do that with kids. Uh, so it's not complicated to me. I've even learned as a rabbi over the many years that I can do that with adults. I can interrupt their hurtful behavior and still have empathy for them. So I know it's possible. For any of us elevated beings who can extend it all the way to Putin, bless your heart. I'm not there, but I know it's possible. Does that answer your question, Blaze, or, or uh, address your, your question? And you can unmute yourself if you want. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's a question that just stays with me um, all the time, really. Yes, but, it should stay um, with us all the time. We should carry that question all the time. You know, I can't I can't do anything to stop Putin, but I can pray that wisdom will come 
that he might see the light, that he might be somehow healed enough to change. That's all I can do. That's a beautiful prayer. Thank you. That's a beautiful prayer. Um, I'm just reading your comments. Thank you. Uh, Yes, Dalai Lama, Desmond Tutu, we can love the evildoer. Yes, we can. Um, We're not failures if we don't, as long as we don't become evil ourselves. And I would say that is a Jewish perspective, which is that our actions matter more than whether we're internally um, able to do whatever. It's beautiful to get to that place, but let us not become evil ourselves. And Marcia says, if we can't feel compassion for another, we can try to have more compassion for our own flaws. All of it true. Levi Yitzchak of Berdichev. Yes, the book about Trump's childhood by his niece. Yes. Um, Yep. I wish I understood. I wish we so desperately want to explain why people go astray. Why we lose our minds from time to time. And all we can do is practice keeping our feet grounded in the reality of love and compassion. Because we're in a maelstrom in this lifetime. It just is that way. (sighs) Leviets of Berdichev, when he says in one of his famous teachings from the mid 1800s is that If you identify someone else's Amalek, you'd better look inside yourself to see if you also have any of those qualities incipient in yourself, right? So this is always gonna, if we're not self-reflective and self-aware, we've lost. But if we're only self-reflective and self-aware and don't stand up against evil behavior, we're useless. Um, And so again, we have this incredibly moving target challenge of keeping our body and soul together while we try to do what's right. It's heartening to me that because Putin's evil is so blatant and so um, uh, unadulterated that even corporations even if it's only at us so they don't want to be ostracized by other corporations, the world, oh, much of the world is responding with resistance. And um, there's a time for that. I think this is the time for Jews, if we, you know, despite our highest desires and dreams for how the world could be, if we don't remember that in living memory, this happened to us, and the world did not stand up, then we're fools. I mean, we may be holy fools, but we're fools. Um, uh, so this, yeah, it's, it's that time. It's that time both to stand up to Amalek and to make sure we don't become Amalek. And they're not contradictory. They have to go together or we're failures in our attempt to be our best selves. Sylvia. Okay, um, kind of nervous to say this because it's a, vu- a vulnerable place. Um, but I oh, I'm glad you mentioned the- that. I'll be what? gentle. Okay, thank you. <laughs> no, I struggle with the two sides of myself in that I think what's happening that Putin's doing is horrible, killing children, bombing hospitals. And then there's the part of me that uh, will have some feelings about the Ukrainian people. Oh, yeah. I want to protect them, <laughs> but I know that they, when you say who stood up for us, that uh, the Ukrainians were not really good people. Now, not all the Ukrainians. I want to say that. It's not everybody. But I think, oh, my God. So I have both these sides of myself, you know. I do, too. Yeah. And I One guess point. it's okay as long as we're aware of it, right, mm-hmm. that I... I'm angry with these people. And I realize that these people who, the 
this is happening to are really the children and grandchildren of the people who didn't stand up. The other mm -hmm. people who probably aren't even alive at this point, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. Anyway, the Ukrainians so. were amongst the most enthusiastic um, allies of the Nazis yes. in murdering all their Jews. Uh, 1.5 million Ukrainian Jews estimated murdered. Yeah. So we could righteously um, take the perspective of screw them, right? We could do that. Um, we all, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm painfully aware of it and of the impossible ironies of history here. Yeah. Thank you, Sylvia. Thank you. <sighs> and you know, Khmelnytsky, who was the Ukrainian um, big cheese in the 1600s, uh, committed the greatest to date atrocity against the Jews in the 1650s, um, killing something like 50,000 to 100,000 Jews in Ukraine. And that was in pre-modern population levels. So it's such, we, oh man, let's just not give up on the human race. That's all I wanna say. Jonathan, can I ask a question about the, the, the translation of the text? Yeah, just a second, Roberta, because um, Barbara raised her hand and then oh, I'm gonna call on you. Okay, thank you. Go ahead, Barbara. Yeah, I'm a little hesitant to say this. Um, most people don't want to be told that what they're doing is wrong or somebody's viewing it as evil. Mm -hmm. um, my own part of my own definition of evil is creating suffering for one's own pleasure. Oh. And to me, eating meat is exactly that. People do not have to eat meat in order to survive. So one's doing it usually for one's own pleasure, but the amount of suffering that's created mm -hmm. is enormous. Mm -hmm. And generally, I, I mean, earlier in my life, I talked about that and for a long time I haven't. Um, mm -hmm. I just felt drawn to say that. And it's not as though I'm attacking anybody. You are not. But to me, it's a really great source of suffering in the world and it's unnecessary. Thank so you. I'm calling well, Amala for what it is, in my view. That's right. And well said. We are all complicit. Um, and uh, I really appreciate you saying that. And in fact, this is an interesting discussion for me. I'm so glad I can wade into these things with you. First of all, thank you for letting me speak forcefully and for not, not uh, you know, shying away too far. And, uh, but secondly, um, we liberals don't like discussing evil because it is such a judgmental word. Um, and yet it feels important right now. So I'm very grateful for this. Roberta. Yeah, thank you. And, and thank you for that comment. I don't know who just made it, I don't know about, the suffering that we bring on in, in the way we live. Um, yeah, I was, was just wondering- Barbara, That was Barbara. Barbara, thank you, Barbara. You know, the screen always jumps around. So oh, I know. It was. Um, so where the text uh, Deuteronomy says, um, remember to blot out the memory of Amalek, could that also read, um, remember to blot out Amalek's memory. And, and, and the reason why I'm like looking at it that way is, so for example, um, Putin, to use an easy example. <laughs> uh, the, 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 the Amalek uh, du jour. Like, yeah. So, you know, he was, uh, we all know, right? Um, lost his, uh, maybe both parents at a young age was you know, completely groomed to be a CIA, um, CIA. <laughs> Freudian <laughs> slip, completely groomed to be a you know, KGB. I mean, he was a KGB assassin. So uh, the uh, training includes um, uh, absolutely the most sophisticated anything humans have developed to to sever 
uh, empathy, right? That's the training to be uh, the systematic killer. And so that memory of being that way is what's in power, right? It's the memory of exerting power and making choices uh, completely severed from empathy. So I'm just wondering, is, is that what Torah is telling us that if we want to root out evil, whether it's from birth or not, how will we ever know that what we have to do is, um, you know, heal. It, it still calls us to heal uh, whatever is implanted in the human heart, right? That, that, that has blocked the connection to empathy. Mm-hmm. Thank you. See, and, and the Torah as usual is very terse. So it's our job, legitimate job, to do what you're doing, which is to pull out these, po- these, these possible interpretations. Because uh, the Torah itself, it's like we're dealing with three verses. <laughs> three verses that for me instigate this conversation. That's what I value about it, but not just amongst us, but across 3000 years of Torah interpretation. And so that's what that's what I what we're doing with Torah study. So thank you. Your your words are Torah, Roberta. Um, we're we're going to running over a couple minutes, but uh, I'm going to ask Blaze, who raised her hand, to say what you'd like to say. Thank you, <clears throat> Barbara. When Barbara spoke, it was reminding me of an article I read recently in the New Yorker about the successful transplant through many many iterations of science of a pig's heart into a human Mm -hmm. and they are raising pigs now with whatever mutations they need to do with them to make their hearts even better for um for transplantation into humans and i come across this kind of uh, you know the value that we put on human lives is greater than the value that we put on animal lives. Yes. And yet animals and plants are consistently sacrificing their lives on our behalf. Mm -hmm. And it's just, you know, a struggle that I Mm -hmm. think about and deal with. I don't have an answer, Mm -hmm. but the truth of the matter is that I think the truth of the matter is, is that we don't really value or a lot of people don't really value human life because we go around killing each other all the time. Mm-hmm. And if we did, maybe there wouldn't be so much violence and war. I don't know. I, I'm just kind of, I don't have that worked out very well, but uh, you haven't worked out very well. as Deborah just wrote, what a great example of wrestling with moral issues. This is what we are called to do, right? Once, unfortunately, um, uh, straight up evil rears its head sometimes, like it is right now out of Putin's Russia. And we know what we need to do. I think it's one of the reasons why people find war so galvanizing. Uh, because most of the time, when we're not faced with immediate, this immediate call to, to action, uh, we have to wrestle. And that's what most of daily life is like. And most of our decisions are like, because there's morality to weigh on all things. At what price the extension of human life? This is a moral issue. It's bioethics. It's like, and this is it's what we need to be engaged with. So I thank you for that. And I guess why I wanted to raise the more extreme Amalek sort of externalized Jewish uh, sort of um, archetype is because I feel like it's raised, it's raised itself up right now. And uh, we need to not shy away from that current reality. Um, what action is called from us now when moral issues are clearer, where utter destruction is being wreaked. And so uh, 
Um, that's, that's, I, that's why I was drawn to this passage today, which we'll be reading in synagogue this Saturday. No, I appreciate the moral wrestling we're all doing. Oh my. Um, I have a lot more to say, but I won't say it today. Um, and I, I really appreciate the time we've had together today. As Cynthia said, great conversation, very thought-provoking. Thanks to all, thanks to Rabbi Jonathan and keep on struggling. Thank you, Cynthia. I think uh, uh, anybody has to go back to work mm, and we're gonna conclude this recording now and make sure we take time for our healing prayers. <laughs>